Welcome to Two Priests Talking, a podcast where two priests sit down to have a conversation about our current cultural moment and how we might engage with what is happening in the world around us as faithful Christians. Greetings, I'm Father Aaron Wright, the rector at Old North Abbey Anglican Church here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I am one of the two priests talking, and we're hoping to bring you conversations about reasonable faith in what seems to be less than reasonable times. I'm the second priest of Two Priests Talking, Father Nick Hamilton, the associate rector here at Old North Abbey, and we are literally two priests talking. Uh, well, it's the end of the world, the sky is falling, and all hell is breaking loose, Father Aaron. It's, uh, it's good to be back in Two Priests Talking Studios. How are you? I'm doing really well, and none of, the, none of anything that you just said was true. Are you sure? I'm positive, um, but you've been gone. I have been gone. I have been gone. Uh, we were quarantined last week because, you may have heard about this actually, there was a tiger on the loose in Knoxville. <laughs> And we were so scared to leave our house that we decided we would self-quarantine for for two weeks, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was terrifying. Well, the tiger was a... <laughs> a COVID carrier? <laughs> Tigers can carry COVID, uh, which was kind of funny. I looked up... Um, as soon as we found out there was a tiger on the loose, I found out that tigers actually can and have carried COVID. If you, that, There were like seven tigers at the Bronx zoo or something that had covid which is absolutely hysterical to me kitty cat covid i mean it's perfect it's the perfect catastrophe there was a tiger on the loose in knoxville supposedly i don't think there was a tiger loose i think it was a hoax and it got people rolling (laughs) but what if it was on the loose no it's just a tiger Uh, i was i was loving the fact that it had social media accounts my favorite one was a picture of uh, the tiger sitting on top of the sun sphere like saying, oh, come and yeah. get me. Beautiful. So, but you were, you were quarantined. We were, uh, we, we have a roommate, uh, but before, before COVID we ran an Airbnb out of our basement and during COVID we shut that down. And so we have a grad student friend who's living with us and, um, his girlfriend's in the oh, substitute teaching in Knox County school. She got COVID, he got COVID. We were like, Oh no, are we going to get COVID? So we quarantined. And we're out of quarantine, and we feel healthy and whole. And and you never got sick. We never got sick. So thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And they're doing well. Our, our roommate and his girlfriend are doing well. And so everyone in that little circle is healthy, which is good. And it's good to be back here at Two Priests Talking Studios, a.k.a. Old North Abbey's Balcony with you. And, uh, and I think we should, as we always do, just thank... Brenna and Katie. Amen. Amen. Once again, we should do that every time. I know our sponsors, our sponsors, <laughs> our sponsors uh, for listening. But no, it, we so we weren't here last week, and that was all because of Nick, and it was his I fault. I apologize. And um, but we're we, back. We're back. Yeah, yeah, we are back. And uh, a couple of front end business pieces. This uh, seems to be de rigueur. I don't speak French. I think that means you know the way I have things. No idea what that means. The way things are done. Um, <laughs> But by way of apology, uh, we'd like to say two things. First and foremost, we were so excited about our MTV, MPD. MTD, uh, MTV. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. MTV, moralistic, therapeutic, deism connection that we actually got something wrong in our podcast. Yeah, Dire Straits, the name of the song was not I Want My MTD. It was instead what, Father Nick? Money for nothing. Money for nothing. Money for nothing and kicks are free. And we, we just want to make sure that we're uh, intellectually uh, humble. We get things wrong here on the podcast, and uh, we'll try to be as accurate as we can. But if we goof something up, we're going to tell you. In fact, if you were going crazy looking for the parable of the Good Samaritan and could not find it, just in, like we couldn't find it. In Luke 15, that's because it's... Actually in Luke 23. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's in Luke 10. It's in Luke 25. Luke 25. Uh, which doesn't exist. Um, but yes, it's in Luke 10. And so we apologize because we um, we just started reading the Bible a couple weeks ago for the first time. 
to take our priest exam to take our priest exam <laughs> <laughs> no so, but we did we did we did miss that one and even as aaron was talking about it, i was looking for it and luke sitting here while we we're recording couldn't find it anyway because i always place that i mean that question always in jesus's last week of life and i was just thinking through but i had taught on i taught on the good samaritan in correlation with the uh prodigal son yeah and I was just in Luke 15 mode in my right. head, but it was it was definitely Luke 10. Yeah, which is okay. What if we just got that wrong? What if it's not Luke 10? Oh, man. Should I double check? No. No, okay. it's in Luke 10. We did double check. Um, and a couple last pieces of business because we uh, love social media so much. Feel free to look us up on the uh, face page and the grams, uh, two priests talking. We did have to change our name on Instagram from two priests talking, all one word put together because it kind of looked like two priests stalking. <laughs> and uh, so we, we, <laughs> we, we put some underscores in there, two underscore priest underscore talking. So uh, you can... Well, the, hold on. <laughs> let, me, let me just say that again clearly. So oh, yeah. everyone, two underscore mm -hmm. priests... Yes. Underscore talking. Yes. Yes. Not two priest stalking. That's <laughs> <laughs> when you make a mistake, <laughs> when you just don't think it through all the way. Well, Instagram like requires that it be all one word, I think. I don't have an Instagram. I know you don't, but, and I shut mine down, but I thought it might be a helpful way for people to know when we put a new one of these out. So enough chit chat. Uh, our topic today, do you, do you want to take us in or do you want me to take us in? Oh, man. It's a big one. It is a big one. And you started off pretty well. I mean, we didn't start the fire, you know, it's <laughs> always burning since the world's been turning. But today we do want to talk about this idea of a catastrophe mm. and not so much that it's the opposite, but that pole with which people function in of catastrophe and then this other thing of boredom, mm. right? Or boring. Sure. And so we, we do want to get into this because we think it's one of the most, um, well, we've both been reading the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan Haidt talks about this idea of catastrophizing things. Sure. And we've been talking about that for a while mm -hmm. and just how, you know, so Haidt is sort of coming in and saying, this is what you were thinking, you know, it's helping me to go this is what I've been seeing. Right. Um, but this idea that everything is a catastrophe. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're even to the point to where now when there's not a catastrophe, we start creating catastrophe. Sure. Uh, to escape what we view as being boring hmm. or boredom. Right. But it's actually to sort of avoid an ordinary, simple life hmm. in some ways, which we'll get to yeah. later. I saw your eyebrow go up like... Yeah, that's precisely what we see. Um, but yeah, this idea that uh, we ha we live in a culture that has a liturgy hmm. of catastrophe mm -hmm. and a liturgy of boredom. Right. Yes, entirely. And it's something that we become so used to that I think, and, and I think that this is the way liturgies work on us, I think that we're unaware of it to a large mm -hmm. degree, that it's something that flows naturally and we just kind of go along with it. And that's not necessarily for the better. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, how one of the places where we see this catastrophizing or this catastrophe being played out is in the realm of politics. And mm -hmm. you and I are hoping to talk about politics in a week or two on the podcast. But this yeah, we I will have we will have a pre-election podcast podcast rundown where, we will go we, through how many candidates are there for president there's 1000 1, right now as of a few weeks ago there was officially 1192 and we will go through each of those candidates and, and what and they, their platforms yeah so that you can vote wisely um oh, but gosh. but we talked about this a couple of weeks ago this reality that we don't engage in careful dialogue and debate anymore Instead, we catastrophize. So if you vote for Joe Biden, the world's going to end. And if you It'll vote be Biden's for, America. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And if you don't vote for Donald Trump, the world's going to end. Mm -hmm. And it's catastrophe one way or another. Or mm -hmm. if you don't 
start, you know, riding your bicycle and I think climate change is a real thing, but if you don't start riding your bicycle tomorrow and get rid of your car, then the world's going to end. Or if you don't eat organic food, the world's going to end. Or, I mean, you can name any number of things where it's either this or catastrophe. Yeah. No, I mean, um, we are, I mean, well, even with COVID, I mean, things are catastrophe. You have, you know, folks who are saying if you don't wear a mask, everyone's going to die. You, you have the, the flip side of that is if you wear a mask, it's going to make us even sicker and that's going to be a catastrophe and Mm. people will die. It's everything is a catastrophe. Even with social unrest, there's talks of like civil war. We have murdering hornets or whatever out West. We have the fires. I mean, every, and those are real. Right. Like no, the hornet thing. I mean, I'll put that on the, sure. that's not, sure. I'm not worried about murderous hornets. I'm terrified of murder hornets. I hate all Is that what they're creatures. called? Are they called murder hornets? There's some kind of Asian hornet, but they were dubbed murder hornets, which seems fitting. They were ginormous and terrifying. Are these the ones that kill the honeybees? I, they kill you. They come for you. You're, you're dead. This is me actually embracing catastrophe. I'm scared of those things. Really? I mean, I hate yellow jackets. Dude, you give me you give me two badminton rackets <laughs> and hornets, and I'll show you who comes out on top after that one. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, everything is catastrophized. Yeah. Right? And we've been set up for this for a long time. I mean, I know growing up, every night we watched the local news okay. as a family. Right? I don't remember that. I don't think we did, but anyway. Well, this may be because you, I mean, you, well, you were in Chile. <clears throat> Chile. For a while, yeah. For a while. Then you were in Colorado. Yeah. When, when does the nightly news come on in Colorado? Do you remember? Uh, at night. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what time? Do you know? I don't remember. See, this, this drives Brenda crazy. She grew up in Kansas. And in, and in Tennessee, we have the, we have the uh, 6 o'clock and 11 o'clock news. Okay. And that drives her crazy because in Kansas, it was like, I think, Nine o'clock or ten o'clock, like for five her. o'clock and ten o'clock. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, and she sees that's much more reasonable. But I grew up with like six and eleven. But I mean, even in the six o'clock news, it, local news especially, there's this formula, and mm. I don't think we realize it. But it, we always open up with the most catastrophic thing that's happened that day. Mm. So instantly, you know, you've had dinner with your family, you sit down, uh, you turn on the tube to get the nightly news. And the first thing you hear is like, you know, seven people killed by someone who's on the loose, Mm. lock your doors. There's this catastrophizing of the day. Right. And then, so it has your attention. You're drawn in fear becomes this thing. And then they slowly work you down. Mm. Right. So it's catastrophe. And then it may be like, Oh, and then in local news, there may be, you know, some vote that's taking place about, you know, parking spaces or something. And then, but there's always that sort of fear element at the beginning. And then we'll get into weather, you know, and, yeah. and now, now weathermen have become like comedians. Yeah. They need to keep your attention. Yeah. They just like, you know, it's like, we're going to entertain you for a little bit. Well, the and weather then, apps, you know, who sure. needs a weatherman? <laughs> it's a <laughs> right. dying industry. Right. And then sports, hmm. sports, we're only, the only thing we see in sports are like highlights. You yeah. only see like the, the quote unquote, the important moments, which sure. don't win games like the, or, or like the tragic sporting event of the day or something along those sure. lines. And then they always end with like a puppy that's, <laughs> that's learned to ride a skateboard sure, or a, a kitty cat that, you know, has become best friends with a giraffe at the zoo. I, and, and you're like, Oh, you're like, Oh, I feel so much better now. But you don't realize you've entered into this idea of catastrophe and the news is like, Stay with, like, especially now in 24-hour news cycles, Mm -hmm. especially now where it's like if a hurricane hits a coast or there's something tragic happening, whether it be COVID or something, I mean, news now will tell us, stay with us Mm -hmm. as we help you walk through this catastrophe. Right, right. And not realizing that all they're doing is like making life more catastrophic. Yeah, stay with us for the latest up-to-date information as this story unfolds, you know? Yeah, with like moving background screens, everything's moving, everything, like there's like how many different lines at the bottom, there's like news updates where the music's like terrifying, it's like, yeah, news update. Well, and I mean, it's because that news so directly affects you in your everyday, right? 
that tiger was in my backyard. I needed to know about that because that tiger actually, it tried to eat one of my children. <laughs> and if that tiger, if I hadn't known about it, it could have been disastrous, right? I'd have been down one kid and up one tiger with a kid in its tummy. And but would that have, I mean, you would have had a tiger. Sure. Assuming the tiger was docile after it ate one of my children, then I would have had a tiger and two kids instead of three. But mm. I, but I think, you know, the bigger point is that constant motion of the news cycle. I think you're making an excellent point. It sucks you in, right? Sucks you in with the catastrophe and then slowly moves you back to normalcy, but not normalcy. Even that kitten and that giraffe you carry it with you right because you carry that that tension in your mind sure um yeah i mean my, you know the funny thing is and we'll, we won't talk about the tiger much more yeah but somebody reported seeing it in the neighborhood that my kids go to school <laughs> sure and they had to close down i kid you not we had to close down and the school's doing all it can do right you have like official reports of a tiger on the loose in a in a like downtown neighborhood. Sure. And my kids, they couldn't go on the playground because of this tiger that somehow is evading everything on busy streets. Like how in the world that tiger canceled recess, the tiger canceled this it's cancel culture. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that the word that you used earlier is really important. Liturgy. This idea that these things become part of our life without us even recognizing them. You know, on Sunday when we come and we worship together, we we engage in liturgy. It's the work of the people. It's this thing that we do in order to tell a story. And that story is the story that we're all a part of. It's, it's the gospel story. You know, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. This, this story that we all get pulled into as a result of being united to Christ. But culture has this separate liturgy that's desperately trying to pull us into its story. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, as we get sucked into this separate story, it becomes difficult for us to live in the overarching story that we're actually a part of. That tiger didn't necessarily affect my life. Uh, COVID certainly has impacted our lives, but at the same time, some of the catastrophizing that we uh, engage in prevents us from living into the reality of our actual life Mm -hmm. because we're in a place that's not even close to where we actually are. Our minds are far and distant from the people who are actually in front of us. Mm -hmm. And those things that are actually in front of us start to become boring. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We've, you know, we, when I see this within culture and I mean, I just talked about the sport highlight. Sure. You know, I, I help coach a soccer team here in town in my spare time. It's really enjoyable high school, uh, boys soccer and, um, all of them, there's a tendency to want to do the highlight reel in practice, Hmm. you know, unpack that. Sure. So we are so used to Big news, we're so used to seeing, like, the, have you ever watched, I mean, if you were to watch ESPN and watch, like, NBA highlights, they never show you, like, a good fundamental defensive stance that changes the pace of a game. Hmm. They will show you the dunk or the three-pointer. I don't know if there's anything else that happens in the NBA. Or the block. Any, or the block. Huge block off or the, the fight. Sure. Or the fight. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to show you the most intense things. But those things actually aren't the things that win games. You know, it's... And so when I coach soccer, I tell guys, like, you know, it's it's not like you doing this cool move mm. and, you know, um, and making this amazing shot that's actually going to win the game. It's going to be all this stuff in between. But that to them has now become boring. Mm. Like, and it's hard to get people to understand um, this difference between boring and boredom. Sure. Right? Yeah. So we were talking about that. That's interesting. Yeah. So boredom was always seen as a human, it it was a human issue. Like if somebody was bored with something, it was their problem. It wasn't the thing's problem. Hmm. It's like, you know, let's say I went on a walk 
down like, um, let's say just Sequoia Hills. Sure. Right? If I went and walked along the riverside and I said, I'm really bored, right? Well, a long time ago, people would have said, why are you bored? Like, look around you. It's beautiful. And it would have been viewed as a, as a human issue on me. Like the issue wasn't with where I was or what I was doing. The issue was with me sure. not being able to see what I was actually surrounded by. Mm. But over time, especially like at the beginning of the 20th century and in the 20th century, the understanding of boredom, and I can't even remember where I read this at. I don't even think boring was used mm. as a phrase until then. Interesting. But then things became boring. It wasn't me anymore that was the problem. It was the thing. Hmm. It was boring hmm. because there was so much other things to grab my attention. Sure. So if I had like a TV on or I had the radio on or I had this amazing flower growing outside that is honestly more spectacular than the radio or the TV. Hmm. I would view the flower as being boring, mm. really. But it's it's the really the real issue is me. The sure. issue is that I'm actually bored with this amazing flower, but but now boring has become the thing. My kids say it all the time. Yeah, this is boring. It's yeah. like, well, why is it boring, bud? Well, it just is. Well, is it you that are you just bored with it? Because it's pretty cool. Look at it. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, <laughs> and at the same time, kids. I think kids are actually better at this than adults. Like my kids can go outside and play with gravel for a long time. Yeah. My son can take like sticks and be completely content. Well, and I think you're right. The older we get, the harder that is. We just got back as part of our quarantine. We were like, well, let's go into the woods and camp for a few days since we can't be around people. Sure. So we went camping. But and, you can be around tigers. But you can be around tigers. We did see a bobcat which was pretty exciting. Um, we're in big South fork, but it takes my kids. They're getting older, 11, nine and seven. And sadly, you know, for better or worse, we have instituted or implemented some screen time in their lives. And it's pretty minimal. We try to keep it to Saturday. They get to play some video games, but it takes them some time to get out of the mindset that a screen is more entertaining than being outside. But by the time we'd been there for a day, the Frisbee had become amazing. Mm -hmm. And we were near a sand volleyball court. Nobody was there. Uh, the sand in the volleyball court had become amazing. And Levi found walking sticks, you know, those stick bugs. Mm -hmm. uh, he'd caught so many of them. And he walked around with these things crawling on his head. He was like, check this out, dad, you know, and he's fearless with bugs. Sure. But those are the kind of things that you almost have to unlearn the entertainment factor, right? You have to decompress from the flashing lights so that you can actually see that flower that's in front of you. And I think, you know, I was telling you this story, we went on a hike one day, we hiked about seven miles, did this John Lytton farm trail and it was beautiful. And a couple miles in, we saw about a four and a half, five foot long, you know, rat snake, just a black snake on the trail. Beautiful snake. My kids, my boys especially love serpents, love reptiles. Mm. We decided not to pick this one up, but it was there. It was obvious. It was right in the middle of the trail. Okay. And it was a safe snake, you know, nothing to worry about. About two miles later, Cademan, my middle child, is in the back of the line of us hiking. Trail's about a foot and a half wide, you know, single track. And he says, snake. And we all stop. He's about five feet behind us. And between him and us, there are two copperheads <laughs> right on the side of the trail, just camouflaged, so camouflaged. And yeah, one of them, amazing. One of them's, yeah, just facing us, coiled up. And I think it was sunning itself because we moved it off the trail with a long stick so that uh, Cademan could get by. It was super docile. But I think that that's part of the thing that's so interesting to me is oftentimes the dangerous things are unseen to us. We don't often see what's actually most dangerous. 
catastrophes we see, you know, the catastrophes like, hey, here's this big danger, but is it really that dangerous? Or is it just this shiny object that's meant to distract us from more subtle dangers? Mm-hmm. And I think the subtle danger that we're being distracted from is the fact that we are changing as human beings from people who can live ordinary lives. Yeah, we, we can't. I mean, right. It's so hard to live just a simple, ordinary life. Right. Because you have to function between those two poles, and they feed off of each other. Mm-hmm. Like, catastrophe needs, like, boredom and right. boring things in order to drive us towards it. Yeah. And an ordinary, simple life finds itself between... And we're not saying, and I want to make sure... Because it would be a poor argument to say that catastrophe and boredom um, are opposites. Right. But in some ways, they they kind of are in our current cultural context. Because we're just, when things start slowing down, right, we have to, we're creating for ourselves new catastrophes. Drama. We're creating for ourselves new drama all the time. Right. All the time. Right. Like even the tiger in some ways was a creation of a new kind of drama that sort of made Knoxville for like one or two days, like look over its shoulder. CNN. We ended up on CNN. We ended up on national news, Fox news. We were everywhere. Boom. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. It's not that they're the opposite of one another, but in this cultural liturgy that we (laughs) exist in, they kind of function as counterparts. We need the catastrophe to keep us going. And then we hit peak catastrophe and we start to get bored. And then we need a new catastrophe so that we can hit peak catastrophe and then we'll hit boredom again. And it's this cycle where we have been conditioned to and we talked about this a couple weeks ago be outraged or fearful or whatever it might be we need we we constantly need an adrenaline rush yeah we constantly need an adrenaline rush we need something to like fight we need something that gives us quote unquote meaning mm-hmm. and sometimes catastrophe mm-hmm. well chris hedges wrote a book called war is a force that gives us meaning yeah right and i would say it's somehow the same way that catastrophe tragedy somehow gives us meaning Hmm. and we need it because otherwise our life, we're so disappointed with our life. Right. Sadly. Right. Sadly, we're so discontent with our life. And, you know, and I think the church has a, it's it's such a great opportunity. And I've seen it happen over the past several years where the church is really beginning to reclaim this in some ways. I think of books like, Tish Warren's um, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Mm. where it forces us to step back and go, life is pretty amazing. Now, there's difficulties, there's ups and downs, of course, but my everyday life, uh, God shows up in that mundane. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about this, right? Christ enters into our mundaneness. Right. He enters in. Now, I will get to the point... Yeah, here in a second, I do want to like delve into this idea of catastrophe from a Christian perspective. Oh, yes. And and I'll get to that in a second. But even with a book like, uh, I think it's Julie Canlis, her book, Theology of the Ordinary. Mm. I think Thomas McKenzie worked on a book called Every Moment Holy. And Brother Lawrence is practicing the presence of God, you know? Sure. Just the everyday ordinariness. God's here. Right. Right. And the. it's because there's this singularity of focus about what is truly important. You know, we've been, we just started Philippians. Mm. We're going through uh, the lectionary here at uh, Old North Abbey. Of course, we preach the lectionary. Um, but we've been going through, we just started Philippians this week. Right. And that's that great, you know, famous quote from Paul in chapter 121, um, where he says, you know, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Mm. There's this really fun play on words there, Father Nick, where Christos means Christ and gain means kerdos. So they sound very similar. Hmm. You know, Paul is in a sense saying to live as Christ, to die as Christ, to live as gain, to die as gain. Mm. There's no catastrophe 
for him in his own death. Right. Uh, Christ is life. Christ in death. Christ holds it together. Right. And we don't have a concept of that. Uh, sadly, it's we do. We do have a concept of it, but we don't live into it. It's right. Sometimes right? we've been co-opted by culture's liturgy. Yes, we've to been, see. Yes, absolutely. Well said. I think that we've been maybe maybe the word is charmed. Mm. Uh, there's probably even a better word, lured. We've been lured into this false liturgy. And I'm I going think, fishing tomorrow. Is that? <laughs> but fly fishing. We don't. I, I don't personally believe in those lures. But uh, yeah. we have been lured into mm-hmm. this false liturgy, and so to your point, as Christians, catastrophe has a totally other meaning. Catastrophe, and I don't know where you were going to go with this. I'll go there in a second. But I think catastrophe isn't something for us to fear as Christians because as Paul said, to live is Christ to die is gain, you know, but do we believe that? Yeah. Well, the reason is this God has already redeemed Hmm. the greatest of catastrophes, right? The two greatest catastrophes of all time. First is the fall, right? Of humanity's fall is the greatest single, well, I think it's the second greatest catastrophe ever. Sure. But you're going to get there. Yeah. The first greatest catastrophe is the crucifixion of Jesus, Mm. the death of the God man. Right. God has already taken the most catastrophic things that could ever happen and has redeemed them. Unimaginable. The idea that God in the form of man, that fully God, fully man would die. That's an unimaginable catastrophe. That's an unimaginable, it is a scandalous catastrophe. Right. And in redeeming that, Mm. it's not to say that there's not catastrophes. Sure. Right. But there's now hope through those catastrophes. Right. Because Christ has summed all things up Mm -hmm. into his life and death and has borne about new hope Mm -hmm. for all of humanity. So catastrophe now in light of the cross, right? This is why... I mean, I love Paul's language in Philippians. It's all about hope. Mm. It's all about this idea that, like, I'm going to die. Yeah. You know, that's gain. Yeah. And I'm sure that there was some trepidation. Oh, sure. But at the same time, there's an overarching understanding that in Christ, there is hope that death has been defeated. My favorite icon is the resurrection of Christ. Um I just, I love that entire picture of Christ coming up out of the grave. The end of the cross is on the great enemy death in the grave. The keys to the gates of hell are scattered around him. The chains are all unbroken. Right, except death is bound. Death, yeah, death himself is bound. And Christ is reaching down and pulling Adam up out of the grave. And Eve is on the other side reaching out being prepared to be brought up out of the grave as well. And there's this picture that as Christians, as those of us who are baptized into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have this new way of life that Paul, in his words in Philippians or in Romans, is really unpacking for us, but also demonstrating. Paul's in prison Mm -hmm. in Philippians. Mm -hmm. And he says, for me, yeah, he's looking between those two realities of, of I could be let go and then I could be executed. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the thing. Um, one of the beautiful things about that icon hmm. is that Adam is not, he's not holding on to Christ's arm. Mm, Christ, Christ just has him firmly around the wrist yeah. and is pulling him. It's his work and he's done it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, I mean, you can probably see me getting a little bit teary-eyed right now because um, I know that I have fallen prey to to catastrophe mm. mindset in my life. Oh, I've been sure. shaped and formed by so much of the liturgy of the day that, you know, and I've talked with you about this, like when I had children, like my concept of catastrophe grew so mm. much. Mm-hmm. Like I was scared of like my kids getting hurt. I was, I lived in a world and I still go there at times. 
I'm getting much better, but we've talked, I've talked about this in sermons here, like my, my tendency towards anxiety with my children and just everything falling apart yeah, and something happening like that it can be absolutely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Paralyzing. Paralyzing can be, you know, debilitating. The Lord's had to do a really big work on me. Yeah. So when I, when I preach, like I preached this last Sunday on this idea of death, especially in a quote unquote, you know, pandemic, whatever, um, man, I mean, I'm having to remind myself, which I think is what Paul's doing in Philippians. He's, when he writes these things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's writing these things to the Philippians. He's actually kind of looking in the mirror, Mm -hmm. you know, when he says something to them, like God will complete a good work that he began in you. He's also looking at himself and he's sort of reassuring himself that even though quote unquote catastrophe lies, you know, in front of him, like God is still going to be faithful. So because of who God is and I don't have to fear it. Right. You know, so which um, is which is what enables him even to say things like "follow me," as I'm following Christ. Yeah, no, but, it's, it's beautiful. But I think he's he's putting into practice this idea of having a mindset that's completely different from what the cultural liturgy would have him engage with, mm-hmm. and I think that that's the call for us too. Uh, I, I totally resonate with once I had kids watching catastrophe blossom Mm -hmm. in my own mind and we don't need to go into this. Maybe this is an episode for another time, but I even started to prep for a while. Oh, I I, I was like, I'm going to become a prepper. I need, I need guns. I need ammunition. I need stores of dried food. I need water, all these things. And, and I went to that place where. And honestly, where I'm tempted to go now, if I'm not careful, because the news cycle currently is so polarized, it's like civil wars happening tomorrow. Oh, yeah. If we're not careful. Yeah. But Paul would say, have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, you're to have the mind of Christ because you already have it. And as a result, you're to live in a way that's so counter to the world around you. Yeah that you are not concerned about your own needs, but you're concerned about the needs of others. Mm-hmm. Catastrophe tends to make us look at ourselves and those closest to us in a way that everyone else could potentially be an enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, not always. You know the hurricanes. Sometimes you see the selfless people really sure. moving into those places and uh, working out what it looks like to be uh, the image of God to the world around them. Right. But there is this tendency in us, when confronted with catastrophe, to fear how it's going to impact me and mine. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we know how much, like you said, you know, and let me just say this uh, for everybody out there. Nick is not a prepper. (laughs) No, I'm not. I would, I, I mean... There is something in me that likes the idea of digging a bunker and things like that, but <laughs> but that's in my weaker moments for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, but these are the but no. I think what you're saying is the temptation to respond mm-hmm. to catastrophic uh, or how our mind processes uh, catastrophic possibilities. Right, is that we always want to be prepared for it, um, but instead Christ says, "Man, I've already I've already dealt with." I mean, what I'm saying is that Christ has already dealt with the most catastrophic things. Right. But to your point and wanting to move towards, what I want to do is really talk about this movement towards simplicity and ordinary, right? Is that we, we don't realize that this is happening. Right. We, we don't realize that what's, so we as Americans spend so much time involved in, 24-hour news cycles, uh, a lot of people have on 24-hour news cycles in their homes. And I'll say this right now, and I'll, I'll say this boldly uh, without, I don't care. All they are concerned about, not the people, the news cycles, is about, A, making money off of you mm-hmm. so that you watch, and B, keeping you coming back for more. Mm-hmm. And they 
news cycles are not there to um, give you something to agree with. Uh, so if you're watching like one particular news cycle and you think that that news cycle is just reaffirming what you already believe, it's not. It's actually forming you mm-hmm. and it's shaping you mm-hmm. in a way. It's a liturgy. Everything is a liturgy in yeah. our world. Every single thing is a shaping force in our world. Yeah. So the question becomes, what are we shaped by? Right. For the Christian, you can't say and be honest that like if I go over here to this news cycle, it's fully forming me as a Christian mm. in my mind. Right. No matter what side sure. or, or what you're listening to, there's only a few things that can fully shape you as a Christian. And I promise you the 24-hour news cycle is not it. Right. A very, very wise person told me, somebody who I trust, and I won't say their name on here because, you know, we would probably get shut down. <laughs> but somebody said to me once, said it to a group of people, that every morning they get up and they turn on Fox News and they, or they, they, they read the Fox News page and every morning they look up the CNN page. Oh, they'd read both. They'd read both. And then wow. they say to themselves, at least now I know what the truth is not. Mm. You know, and I'm not trying to pull out those two. I'm sure. just saying what this individual said. And I thought, you know, it's pretty wise to be able to look at it that way. Right. To be able to say that there is a liturgy. Right. Within our political structures, within our news cycles, within all of these things that is shaping and it is forming us. Right. Well, and I, I'm reminded of Second Corinthians eleven three, which I love, and I'm not sure that I love the ESV translation, but Paul writes, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, and we could say Adam and Eve because Adam was sitting right there, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived humanity by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Hmm. I love that verse. Mm -hmm. Paul's fear is that we will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The call of the Christian is not to live in culture's liturgy. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, this idea of holiness is being distinct from culture. Right. The call that we're given as Christians is to live quietly, to live peacefully, to live simply, simply, to work with our hands, to be ordinary. Ordinary. Right. Yeah. Ordinary, which is in a culture. And so this is kind of like this. To me, this is a catastrophe. But in a culture that expects extraordinary Mm. to live ordinary seems like a cop out. Sure. It seems like it's boring. And this is where I have some admiration for some of our Anabaptist brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, yeah. The Mennonite and the Amish and some of these folks who have said, you know what? I bet that we can live quietly and peacefully and that we don't need to be caught up in everything else that's going on around us. Now, I recognize that there's some failures in that, too, that we need to be engaged in society, that we need to be people who I'm not fully on board with the Benedict option, but we need to be people who are involved in the world around us for the sake of the gospel. Sure. But we also need to cultivate a mindset that's maybe similar to some of our Anabaptist brothers and sisters where it's maybe not the end of the world if Biden gets elected or if Trump gets elected. I bet you that most of our Amish brothers and sisters, our Mennonite brothers and sisters who have embraced the simple life, the ordinary life, have not changed their ways around COVID. Uh, They have not they're not sitting here waiting for November the 3rd to change their lives. They're not concerned with it. Um, They are probably doing just fine. Yeah. I don't know. That'd be really interesting to look into, but I agree. And they're probably not going to listen to this podcast. So they'll probably never let us know. Dang it. Which is okay. We're going to have to go find some chat with them. That is the simple life. But I think there's some beauty to that, you know, like the this reality that we are called to be people who are steady. Um, 
Psalm 37, I was reading this morning, Psalm 37, there's this translation of verse, I forget if, in the first seven verses, um, but the psalmist writes, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But the phrase, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness, is also translated as befriend faithfulness, practice faithfulness. God's placed us where we are for a reason, and he may move us. He may ask us to go someplace else. He may ask us to do huge things. He may even ask us to run for office. Uh, Wait a minute. Heaven forbid. But... Wherever we are, we are to be a people who dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness Mm -hmm. because we recognize that we're part of a story that's so much bigger than the 24-hour news cycle or that's so much bigger than the catastrophe boredom cycle that we get caught up in. Yeah, I mean, we—and I think that's what I want to—the call of the gospel on our lives— is to understand that a Christ holds all things together, right? There is nothing out there, as we, especially as we head into this political cycle. I think this is probably the reason we're talking about this unknowingly, <laughs> right? Probably. It's probably, see, we've even been shaped, right, to, to respond right. in some ways. Oh, sure. Because we know what's coming. You know, we, we've heard our people, you know, talk. We've heard people talk. About, you know, what do you think it's going to be like in November? You know, my brother and I, we talk about, we, you know, full, you know, full unveiling of my, of my political uh, thought process here is that I, I think that the political process is, is kind of humorous. Sure. Right. That, and, and even then, like my brother and I will talk about like, what are the, debate's going to be like this year we are we mm. going to just sit back and have popcorn and and sit back and just laugh <laughs> you know but even that is is a uh is sort of us partaking in something uh from a, a, a sort of trying to avoid this catastrophe thing that everybody else is talking about but sure. we, we're sort of entering into it ourselves Sure. You know, so it's a good check on me to be like, you know, this actually can mean something, but it's not the ultimate meaning right. for us, right? Right. So. Well, well, we have to live in a world where governments exist, and we are blessed to live in a place where the government, as haphazard and sometimes bipolar as it seems, has offered and provided us a pretty decent way of life. Are there broken pieces to it? Yes. Sure. sure. And we've talked about that and intend to talk more about some of these things, but is there social unrest? Yes. I read something about how New York and Portland and Minneapolis are going to be declared anarchist states or something random like that. <laughs> James Barr had signed off on something and I was but, I haven't followed up on this whole thing. But. but but isn't that it, though, Father Nick? Isn't that it just trying to create for us a catastrophic viewpoint sure. of everything? Yeah. Whether or not it really is rooted in reality or not. Well, and I think that was part of the bipolar side of our government. You know, that's right perspective, talking about these places that are run by Democrats. And it's difficult. It's hard to know what it looks like to live as a Christian in these places. But I love that we're in Philippians right now. Mm. Because as we move further into Philippians, you know, and uh, this is in the text that I'm preaching on this week, you know, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, and then goes on to give us this beautiful hymn about Christ's willingness to lay down his life for others. But it's when we live into that that we're actually able to escape this cycle. And one of my favorite things is in some of the conclusion to Philippians when we get there. Philippians 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Mm -hmm. Then he goes on to say, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Mm-hmm. Your reasonableness. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can only be reasonable when you step out of this polarization, when you step out of catastrophe and boredom, and when you say, how do I view those who I disagree with 
as being image bearers of Christ, you know, of God, created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they know Christ yet or not, they still bear the image of God. How do I look at them in that way? And then as a result, treat them with charity. How do I even engage with this news cycle with charity? You know, saying, okay, these guys want to get me all up in arms. They want to get my my prepping going full force because it means more money for the economy, whatever else it would be. (laughs) How do we engage with reasonableness, charity, rejoicing in the Lord always? And I think it does come back, and you started to go here earlier, to stepping out of the cultural liturgy and embracing the liturgies that have been handed down to us throughout the years. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I I mean, this is... And, and I'll always come back to this importance of worshiping in a body of people yeah, and celebrating God's redemption of catastrophe. Mm, amen. And it's not boring. That's the funny thing about liturgy is, you know, people will say is it, it's, it sounds boring. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not, it's so unique every Sunday you may say a lot of the same things every Sunday, but it's so fresh and new because it's never the same. Right. That's the beautiful thing. It's like if you, it's like when you go fly fishing. Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> tell me. No, it's like, okay, no, I have a better example. Okay. And how much time do we have left? Where are we at right now? We're doing good. We, I mean, we'll, let's wrap it up. Okay. Here, here we good. go. Yeah. So it's like um, people think that football is boring, right? And you don't care about football. Not in the least. And sorry. This I week, am sorry. No, no. You're not sorry. I'm not sorry. And I'm not going to let you get away with a lie. <laughs> you're not sorry. But football is awesome. Is it? And it's starting this week. Is that what you're saying? Well, real football starting this week. Is that NFL football or soccer? Ultimately, see, if you're listening, this is how football? disappointing. This is how disappointing Father Nick is <laughs> to this region, to this parish, to Father. me, and maybe even to God Himself, <laughs> Father Aaron, I'm a tra- I'm a transplant, brother. SEC, SEC football, okay. SEC football starts this week. Go We've Vols! Been, go Vols! Roll Tide! That'll never. <laughs> I cannot believe you just said that. Okay, T- walk but us, people walk look us. at football and they think it's boring. It's the same thing every time, you know. Uh, or fly fishing, like you're just sort of, you know, you know, it's just boring. And I thought, you know, you but. Because you're doing the same thing. You're sure. just like throwing something out there. The repetition of motion. Yeah. Or that football's boring because it's just a bunch of guys hitting each other and stuff. But when you there's step... strategy involved. Oh, in both. Either ah, it's beautiful. This is probably a bad example. Football. I just wanted to get in. I just want to talk about football for a second. All right. But people talk about liturgy as being boring because they see it as being the same thing all the time. Hmm. And it's totally not. And yet at the same time it is. And that's what makes it beautiful. And that's what makes it ordinary. Hmm. And that's why I think the Eucharist is such an important part of people's lives. They mm-hmm. don't realize it, but we take the ultimate catastrophe, yeah, which is the death of Christ. Yeah. And we celebrate it. Mm. Right. <laughs> we celebrate the greatest catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Right. We and give we, thanks for it. We give thanks. It we is hold it up. Eucharist. We break it. Mm. And we invite people to come and partake in this beautiful catastrophe that God has redeemed right. fully in the resurrection of his son. And that to me, right, that is the ultimate liturgy of all things. And and that's what I, I've told our parish this. If you find yourself engaged with media or social media mm-hmm. or these things more mm-hmm. Than you are in in scripture reading or prayer or good conversations about faith or those things. Like, guess what's shaping and forming you more? Right. You know. So on Sundays when we gather, which we are gathering on the lawn safely in squares, <laughs> we are celebrating uh, God's redemption over catastrophe, and it's not boring. No. Not in the least. And you find yourself needing that rhythm. Amen. That 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 ordinary, simple rhythm that actually forms your mind. Right. It forms your heart. It changes you. Yeah. 
And it's so much more powerful than the other liturgies of the world mm. if you submit yourself to it. That's why I always tell people, like, you got to come for six weeks. If you come to our church, come for six weeks. Yeah, let the liturgy work. Yeah, let it start doing things to That's you. That's what you told me. It worked. It, it's worked with every, look, every person who's come for six weeks. Yeah. We're batting a thousand right here. A thousand. You know, because it actually does. It actually changes the way you see the world. Because it's the story that we're actually a part of. It tells the transcending narrative of the kingdom of God. The fact that death has been defeated, that Christ is king, and that he will one day come again and he will undo he will remake he will reshape all the catastrophe that we've actually experienced in this world because sin is here it is a broken fallen world sure. but christ has defeated that mm -hmm. in his life death and resurrection yeah it's a so that story. even in the new creation the tiger will be a nice tiger oh i cannot wait to hang out with the tiger in the new creation as a tiger is my favorite animal <laughs> is it really yeah Hands down, I was like, I was hoping to see that tiger. But in the new creation, you know, the lion will lay down with the lamb, the child will play with the adder on the den, the den, the nest of the adder. Like these pictures, my kids will be able to play with those copperheads without fear. My boys love reptiles. Did There's you just go Jehovah's Witness on me? Did, did I? That's I scripture. I know, I'm just having fun. But I mean, I'm just having fun with their, the, their little drawings. Did the J dubs go there? I, they do, yeah. Uh, but no, I think I think what you're saying is absolutely true. But I'm I just think, having fun. With no, 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 no. But I hear you. That's the beauty of celebrating the Eucharist every Sunday. Mm -hmm. We need to be reminded that we're in a story that is so much bigger than what we're prone to putting ourselves in. Yeah. Now let me say this very quickly. Hit me before we close. What I want to say to people out there is that we know catastrophe strikes yes and real catastrophe strikes yes. and we've yeah. seen that with covid we've seen that with the hurricanes mm. we've seen that we're not saying that those things are minimized no what we're saying is that god has actually entered into that catastrophe yes. to redeem it yes to bring about hope so if you're sitting here and you say well i've lost somebody to covid mm. i say i'm so sorry yeah but i i, I also want to say christ can meet you because Christ has gone to the depth of catastrophe. Yeah. He knows and he, he can meet you in that catastrophe mm -hmm. and bring about hope and redemption and renewal. And ultimately he will yeah. and in all things. And that's, that's why we keep coming back to the table, to the table. We keep coming back to the word. We keep coming back to all these things to remind ourselves that God has actually transformed the ultimate catastrophe and he will ultimately transform all catastrophe. Yes. And this is the this is the good news of the gospel. Yes. The good news of the gospel. The end. We know the end of the story. We see this in John's words to us that he will meet us here, that he will make his home here on earth with us. Every tear will be dried. All that pain, all that pain will be made untrue in some ways. Mm-hmm. How's that phrase? He makes all the sad things untrue. Yeah. That's in like a little kid's book. But it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, the Jesus storybook. Yeah, he makes all the sad things untrue. Yeah. Which and means the sad things become false in yeah. a new reality, which is beautiful. Which is why Paul can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. Both are Christ, both are gain. It's beautiful. That's why he can say in prison, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Yeah. Can I close with a prayer? Would love for you to. I honestly can't remember if I prayed this already in one of these podcasts, but this is a beautiful prayer from the 2019 uh, BCP. It's number 42 for the human family. Oh God, you made us in your own image and you have redeemed us through your son, Jesus Christ. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us, unite us in bonds of love, and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth, that in your good time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father Aaron, you want to send us out with a blessing? I would love to send you out with a blessing. Um, I'm going to read an Irish blessing. Do it. Well, you know I love Ireland. You do love Ireland. 
Beautiful place. It was really fun going there with you last year. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. This is a blessing that I think uh, sort of epitomizes this idea of ordinary, Mm. that God meets us in the ordinary. It's one of my favorite blessings. So receive this blessing. May the road rise up to meet you. Mm. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rain fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father Aaron. Go Vols, Father Nick. Go Vols. Uh, Football time in Tennessee. It's football time in Tennessee. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week on Two Priests Talking. 